0: We're continuing on with our redemption series. Uh, Next Sunday is Easter. If you're not paying attention to your calendar, Easter's coming. Um, So uh, we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's exciting. The kids are going to sing. I'm going to preach about the importance of living. seems a little anticlimactic when you say it out loud. But yeah, the importance of living. Uh, so between now and next Sunday, I hope that you can, uh, for some of us, we need to make a friend and then invite a friend. So you have a week to make a friend and invite a friend, okay? Smile, it helps you make friends. <laughs> like the way you guys are looking at me. Here we go. This morning's text is from John chapter 18. I titled this, The Cup the Father Gave. The cup the Father gave as we go through John 18. Keep in mind that Jesus did not go looking for suffering that he could endure. God had a specific mission for Jesus. There was some suffering in order to accomplish that mission. Jesus didn't just go looking for a problem. The objective was never suffering for suffering's sake. Because sometimes whenever we go through the Passion Week, we say, Oh, Jesus suffered, and so then we go out and do dumb things so that we can suffer too. That's not... Not the idea, okay? I do not want anyone to get the idea that we want we, that we have to suffer like Jesus did. So uh, don't go out and do dumb things uh, and get yourself in a bad situation just so that you suffer that does not bring glory to God whatsoever. Our mission in this life is to serve, obey, and bring glory to God uh, by the way we live. And so uh, when that mission, our mission to, to glorify God conflicts with uh, the nature of this world, sometimes we end up suffering, right? But please understand, there's no honor in pursuing suffering. And so here we go. The cup the Father gave, and point number one is a cup of suffering. You can tell already, this is going to be a great message. Friends going to preach about suffering. Get your amens ready. John chapter 18, verse 1. We're going to cover a lot of text relatively fast. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Hopefully, you can follow along easily. Here we go. John chapter 18, verse 1. After saying these things, After John 17, where we have the Lord uh, Jesus is praying this prayer for the unity of all of His disciples, that we will be one as Him and the Father is one. Fantastic message of unity. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley, we would call it a ravine, the Kidron Valley with His disciples, and He entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. It's a narrative. Our text is a narrative. It's telling a story. So as we go through it, picture in your mind what is going on. They left Jerusalem. They left the the room where they had shared Passover together. So everybody's full, feeling good. They're going to go across the Kidron Valley. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's like a half a mile to over to uh, what would be the Garden of Gethsemane, to this olive grove where they've gone before. They're going to go to the olive grove, and they're going to... Well, you'll see what they're going to do. Uh, they're going to go over. They've had some dinner. This is where they've gone before. It's a familiar place. Jesus has taken his disciples there. Uh, it's a great place to hang out, right? So verse 3, the leading priests... Picture this in your mind, because now the thought plickens. I mean, the plot thickens. Come on, that's funny. The thought plickens. The leading priest... Somebody just now got that. <laughs> oh, the thought plickens, the plot thickens. Yes. The leading priests... Got out of that picture? In all their regalia. The leading priest and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers... And temple guards. Got all that? To accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Verse 4. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. Just pause for a moment. Wrap your brain around that. Jesus is there in the olive grove with all of his disciples. He sees this group of spiritual leaders, church leaders, religious leaders, the Pharisees and the priests, and the Roman soldiers in the temple guard, and they're coming in with their torches and their weapons. They're coming after him, and Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. Now, because we get to live on this side of the story, we know what all Jesus is fully realizing. Are you with me? Okay, good. So I feel a little lonesome all of a sudden. No one is with me. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Jesus understands fully that they are coming to take him, to take him to trial, to beat him, to hang him on a cross for him to die. He fully understands what is going to happen to him, and his reaction is to what? Uh, for a minute is not up there, yeah, a bunch of readers. uh step forward that's what he does, and he says, "Watch, he says, Who are you looking for This <laughs> is the son of God, one of the Trinity, and he asked these goofballs, So who are you looking for? This is not a man you want to meet in a dark alley. Verse five they say, Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied, and he says, I am which is back to uh, Exodus when Moses says, he's standing at the burning bush, and who should I say, uh, who should I tell Israel, who should I tell Egypt sent me? And, and God says what? Tell them I am sent me. And so now Jesus, he says, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, with this group of bad people. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back And fell to the ground. One of the funnest pictures in all of the Bible is this one, right? They come in with their swords. They come in as a a force. We're going to go take this one man and his, well, down to 11 disciples already we're going to go take him he's reclining and praying in the garden so get your weapon get your torches get the masses here we go we're going to make a a show of power and we're going to go take this man jesus down and he says i am he and they all fall over (laughs) that is so great verse seven once more he asked them who asked them Good job. I'm going to keep doing that until I get you engaged. Once more, Jesus asked them. Who's them? The priest and the soldiers, all the bad dudes. So once more, Jesus says, hey, you bunch of boneheads, who are you looking for? Who's going to answer now? They they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. Verse 8, I told you, Jesus, I, he might have used his finger here. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement that we talked about in the previous chapter. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, remember Simon Peter? He's a fun guy. <laughs> he is. Anybody want to walk on water? Oh, I do. <laughs> Anybody want to argue with Jesus about washing feet? Oh, I do. Anybody? Well, he's just nuts. Uh, then Simon Peter he drew his sword. They were at a prayer meeting. What are you doing with a sword, Peter? They just come from dinner. Let's go pray. Hey, Peter, you got your sword? Yeah, man, I'm ready to go. Let's pray. I don't. Peter, he's still got chips on his face. He's all, get my sword and I my chips. It's a reference to a previous message. If you missed it, it's on the internet. So Simon Peter, he draws his sword. So these guys have just fallen down. Jesus says, get back up. Who are you looking for? We're looking for you, Jesus. Okay, I'm the guy. And Peter's all, shing. Actually, we know that it was a short sword, so it was like, (laughs) chink. Right? Okay, now we're all together. If I make you laugh, he's got his little sword. And Peter drew his sword, chink, and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. (laughs) Chink. Scripture needs sound effects. And then Jesus says, this is the serious part, I didn't set it up very well. Peter, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of what? Suffering "Suffering the Father has given me. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in that last sentence. Jesus did not go looking for a problem. He was in the garden praying. Jesus was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He and his disciples had gone into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Well, some of them slept, right? Because we know from other gospels that some of these guys, once they eat, they need a nap. This cup of suffering was given by whom? The Father. This cup of suffering was given by the Father. It has a very specific and eternal purpose. You with me? Jesus is about to suffer. He will suffer betrayal, disappointment, abandonment. He'll even suffer death. Judas was one of his 12 close disciples. So Jesus had a whole bunch of people. Uh, he, he traveled with 70, 80, 100 people, uh, but he kept these 12 disciples very close. Judas has already betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders for a little bit of money, The religious leaders, the church leaders have come into the sanctuary of the garden with soldiers and weapons to arrest Jesus while Jesus is praying and His disciples are sleeping. These are not terrorists. We don't have to go surprise attack them with weapons. When they asked for Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus does not hide. He shows no hesitation. He speaks clearly. He steps forward and says, I am he. Now, let's do a parenthesis for a second. It has nothing really to do with my message, but it has everything to do with the text because I really this is an important part of what's happening in this story. This is where, at this point in the story, this is where everyone, this is where we, pardon me, this is where we see this one little glimpse into what Jesus could have done to protect himself. Are you with me? We we used to sing this song, 10,000 angels. He could have called 10,000 angels. Ah. Or he could have just said, I am he, and they all flopped over dead. I mean, it didn't take 10,000 angels because this is the moment that everyone in the story, everyone in the garden, everyone involved in the story, and I believe with all my heart, everybody reading this story undoubtedly knows who is in absolute control of this event. Do you get your brain around that? Jesus knows he's fully aware of what is about to happen. These men come to show a show of power, and he goes, I am he. They all fall over. Now who's in power, Jack? Jesus is. This is not a situation gone out of control. This is a situation that Jesus is willfully, intentionally submitting himself to. He takes one little moment to say, you guys are being a little too arrogant. Poof. (laughs) Get up. Let's try this again. So you know that whenever Jesus says, who are you looking for? The first time they say, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. After they've fallen down and had this experience, and Jesus says, now who are you looking for? They say, sir, we are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. I feel that that's, you know, I think that's the way it played out. I don't know that, but I'm kind of thinking that's the way. When Jesus announces his identity to the man, they fall on the ground. I already said that. Jesus repeats himself. I said that. And what about Peter? One of these three that are closest to Jesus, who knows the heart of Jesus best, who has seen Jesus, he has seen Jesus' compassion for people. He knows exactly what Jesus would do in a situation that he's going to love people regardless. But Peter, even being close to Jesus and knowing Jesus' heart, he draws his sword and goes on the attack. So Jesus has to stop Peter's attack. And then he heals the slave's wound. And then he reprimands Peter. It's not a proud moment for Jesus. It's not like, oh yeah, my disciples get it. No, they don't. They don't get it. These men are here to escort Jesus to a dishonest trial and ultimately a fraudulent execution. And Jesus fully realizes all that is taking place. Jesus is fully aware of the deceit that is in the hearts of these religious men. How many of us have been hurt by religious leaders of some sort? We have. A lot of us have. Things didn't go the way at church that we thought they should go, and we got our feelings hurt. Well, how many of us have had religious leaders come after us with swords and torches? Get over your silly self then. Jesus is fully aware of the deceit that's in the hearts of these religious men. Jesus is fully aware of the corruption that is about to entrap him. Jesus is fully aware that his very own disciples are about to run off and leave him there all alone. Yet Jesus is fully prepared to suffer for all these people. Get your brain around that? It's pretty awesome. Jesus is not willing to suffer for humanity. He's not just willing to suffer for humanity. He is committed to suffering for the benefit of the salvation of humanity, for you and I's salvation. There is no amount of humiliation physical or emotional pain, no amount of betrayal that is going to keep him from accomplishing his mission to bring forgiveness of sin and eternal life to this mob of ungrateful, intolerant, and violent group of people. Pretty wild, isn't it? No matter how inconvenient redemption is, No matter how inconvenient redemption is, Jesus is committed to receive the cup that the Father has given him. Is it inconvenient? (laughs) seems inconvenient to me. They're going to kill him. This last week, uh, I think it was on Thursday, in my soap, a reading from Ruth. I always enjoy reading the book of Ruth. It's a fun story. Boaz... Uh, hopefully you all did your Ruth so we know where we're at together so I don't have to tell you the whole story. Oh, I'll put you on the spot. By the way, side note, how are we doing on time? Not good. Uh, Josh Josh uh, did soap commitment cards last week. And, and receive them like we used to do. I, I wanted to get back to that because I've kind of been thinking that maybe not everybody's doing soap like they should uh, because at one point we had 125 people in our congregation doing soap and last week he did the cards and I know that sometimes you're like, well, they know that I do it so I didn't fill out the card. Well, I, I, don't, I didn't get the exact number but I know that the stack of cards was this big and so there are cards at the Welcome Center. Please fill them out. And please do soap. All right, so that was my big uh. Whoop-sh. All right. Yeah, do soap, and, and if you're doing soap, let us know, because we want to we keep everybody on the same page, okay? So this week, I'm doing my soap, and it's from Ruth, and Boaz, uh, he meets with the elders at the city gate to offer the redemption of Elimelech's land uh, to the man who, is the first right, who has the first right to redeem or to purchase this land, right? Elimelech, he dies, and he has a widow, Ruth, the Moabite, and uh, Elimelech, you know Elimelech, there's a song about Elimelech, y'all are looking at me like you're lost. <laughs> Elimelech, Elimelech, Ooh right? (laughs) That's hysterical. This is what I do in my office all week. I make myself giggle. Evidently not you guys though. All right. So Boaz he's meeting uh, with the with the elders at the city gate to say uh, Elimelech passed away. Who's going to redeem his land? And so this other man who is has the first right of refusal, so to speak. This other man he he says he doesn't even get his name mentioned here. Uh, he's first in line to redeem Elimelech's property. Uh, and then Boaz he says that Bo, Boaz says uh, there's some land that needs to be redeemed here. You can purchase the land. You'll be the kinsman redeemer. You're the first man to do it. And the guy's like, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to buy the land. I'm going to expand my borders. It's going to be wonderful. And Boaz says, oh, by the way, there's a mother-in-law included in this. I just want to pause and say I have a great mother-in-law. <laughs> and there's also an, an objectionable Moabite widow who you will have to take as your wife. Oh. So this guy... Says, no, I don't want any of that deal. I want the land, but I don't want the, the mother in law or the Moabite widow. And so he refuses to, to redeem Elimelech's uh, property because, largely because, Ruth is a Moabite. And the Moabites were not acceptable people in the eyes of the Jews. Stay with me, I'm going to tie this into today's story eventually. Or maybe not, I don't know. He doesn't want a Moabite wife. He doesn't want to go to town and, and, and the, the people of the city say, that's the guy who married a Moabite because we don't like Moabites. We don't let them worship with us. We really don't want them eating with us. We don't want them around our kids. We don't want them in our houses. He's married to a Moabite. And so this guy says, oh no, I, I refused redeeming all or any of Elimelech's property even though... Watch this. Even though it was a good thing to do, it would have been socially improper. Are you with me? Ministering to people is seldom a cup of convenience. It's often a cup of suffering. Ministering to others is going to cost you. Sure, entertaining people can be a lot of fun, having Christian friends is a lot of fun, but, but however, bringing the message of redemption to people who may not really want it may seem more like a cup of suffering than a cup of convenience. Are you with me? Over and over, the scriptures teach us and illustrate to us how ministry, ministering to others, is often a sacrifice of ourselves. Even in the, the Passion Week, ministry of Jesus is a sacrifice of Himself. We come and we we're going to minister to other people. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us our time. It's going to ta- cost us emotionally to get involved with other people's lives who are having problems. It's going to it may cost us financially. I don't know, it's going to cost us. It's going to take our resources, our effort, our energy. Scripture teaches that it's going to be a sacrifice to minister to people, but we continue to search for a Christianity that is unlike Christ. We continue to desire a Christianity that is convenient to the life we already have. We want to be involved in ministry. We want to be involved in investing the kingdom of God and eternal life in other people. But I don't want to change my routine. I want to do the same thing that I've always done, but also do ministry. And, and that's not the way it works. We desire Christianity that is convenient to the life we already have, that requires very little effort, that require, requires no suffering. We didn't sign up for Christian Christianity to suffer, did we? No way. Come live with me. It'll be terrible. No, that's not what we want. We want a Christianity that requires little effort, no suffering, and lots of rewards. Uh Uh-huh. We think, because we are such geniuses, we think that we would like to have a Christianity that requires no cup of suffering. But without that cup of suffering, we have no redemption. We have no Christianity. Jesus says, I've got to receive the cup of suffering that the Father has given me. Paul has stated it very concisely in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. They were crushed and overwhelmed beyond their ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Have you ever been there before? To some degree, yes. In fact, we expected to die, is what Paul says. But as a result of this suffering that they experienced, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on, only on God who raises the dead. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So did they suffer? Absolutely, they suffered. Did they learn and grow from it? Yes, because they realized that in and of themselves, we expected to die. But in that suffering experience, we learned, the result of that suffering experience is that we learned to stop relying on ourselves who were going to die and to rely on the one who raises the dead, the miracle-working God. We stopped focusing on ourselves and started focusing on a a dead-raising God. So now we can go through suffering, we can endure anything. Let me encourage you Jesus knows suffering. Your suffering is designed to teach you to rely only on God, the God who has the power to raise the dead. You are not the first to suffer loss. You ever feel like you're the only one to ever have problems? I and mean, when we're going through it, right? You know, you have uh, what is it that uh, Dave Ramsey says? Whenever you your your money runs out before the month runs out, he says something to that effect. When you run out of money and you're just like, "Man, I got nothing," Brent's taking up a reduced the debt offering, and I'm the debt. <laughs> it's no fun. I'm the only one suffering. No, you're not. People have been suffering for a long time. You're not the first to suffer loss. You're not the suffer. You're not the first to suffer betrayal. You're not the first to suffer abandonment or disappointment. Jesus knows suffering. And he can walk with you through that suffering to salvation. That's pretty cool. That's God's design. Point number two, a cup of rejection. A cup of suffering, a cup of rejection. Oh, Brent, this is a good sermon. Getting us ready for Easter. (laughs) It gets worse before it gets better, by the way. All right. In most of us is a desire to be acceptable to others. Just have to think for a second. In most of us. Some people seem to think that uh, they don't need to be acceptable to others. But down deep, most of us, no matter how covered up and uh, calloused we are, we still want other people to at least kind of like us. We want others to like us, to accept us. Uh, We we even want others to be proud of us. Consequently, rejection can be particularly hurtful. Okay? Keep that in mind as we go forward. Verse 12. So the soldiers, their commanding officers and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. Are you picturing this? We're back to the narrative. Picture what's going on. The soldiers, uh, uh, Peter, Jesus, Peter, Paul, somebody. The soldiers have, uh, well, the story is we, we just left off in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter drew his sword, hacks off the guy's ear. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. He heals the guy. I, it just occurs to me while I'm thinking about it. You know, Jesus draw Peter, Peter, I'm going to get it right. Peter draws his sword, attacks. Nobody else seems to do anything. Those other soldiers, the, the Roman soldiers, the big hairy guys, right? Because they have hair on their back and hair on their head that have just gotten up on the ground, they're still shaking leaves out of their skirts. The temple guard, little Peter, little wiry fisherman, he's like, yeah, and all, the guy's are just standing there like, no way, man. If that little guy and his little pocket knife kills all of us, I'm not touching this. I'm not, I'm not drawing my sword. Nobody else draws their sword in this picture. It's this kind of interesting. has nothing to do with anything, but just get into the narrative. Here we go. So the soldiers... Probably asked Jesus for permission. Jesus, can we tie you up now? Yes, you may. So the soldiers, their commanding officers, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? The commanding officers, Jesus tells them, you may step forward now. The commanding officers and the temple guards, they arrest Jesus and tie him up. So Jesus is tied up. Verse 13. First, they took him to, uh, to Annas. Since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, sorry, my mind was wondering again. Uh, first, they took him to Annas since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Ah, that's kind of interesting because he's kind of speaking prophetically because it, it goes back to a previous conversation that Caiaphas had had with, uh, with all of the other priests and the priests are saying, what do we do? And, and Caiaphas says, it's better that we kill this one man than for all of Israel to suffer Rome coming on top of us because this man is trying to, to create a following. So he said, we should kill Jesus. Uh, so Annas, was a, he, was a, he was a Jewish priest. Caiaphas was a, the present high priest. There's a whole lot to, to that. academically speaking, these were the men who were most likely to recognize that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. Are you with me? These are the men in the room who had the head knowledge. They had read the scriptures. They should know. These are the men most educated in the scriptures and messianic prophecies. They should have been recognizing that this is the Messiah. Yet, these were the men leading the rejection of Jesus. Even by the Jews' own law, this was an illegal trial. they were not supposed to have trials at night. Verse 15. Simon Peter. Remember Simon. He's still got chips on his face. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. Probably John. He's being so coy, huh? One other disciple. I can't say his name because then I wouldn't be very humble. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another disciple. That other other disciple was acquainted with the high priest. I can't say his name, but he knew the high priest. So he was allowed to enter. That disciple was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. You got the picture? Peter and John, they followed him. John knows somebody, so he gets in. Peter's sitting out there by himself. Verse 16, Peter had to stay outside the gate. (laughs) I'm just saying while I'm writing the gospel. Uh, John had to, uh, Peter had to stay outside the gate Then the disciple who knew the high priest Spoke to the woman watching at the gate And she let Peter in So John let Peter Got Peter inside Verse 17 The woman asked Peter When she lets him in the gate She says You're not one of the, this, that man's disciples are you? No he said I am not Denial number one Verse 18 because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Get the picture going. We'll come back to that part again. So they're, they're in the courtyard. They're standing around the fire. Now we're going to change stories. Inside, here's what's happening inside. The high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. I think Jesus is a little indignant. Verse 22. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. That's kind of startling, don't you think? I do. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. And Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I am speaking what? The truth. Why are you beating me? Now, we're going to come back to that later on in the story. These men are not only rejecting Jesus, think philosophically kind of for a moment. These men are not only rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, but they are irrationally rejecting the truth. We don't really want to know what you've been teaching. We don't really want to debate what you've been teaching because we do not... I know some of you are already thinking ahead of me. You can't handle the truth, right? That Some of you are. <laughs> they don't want the truth. We don't want to deal with the truth. We just want to kill you. So we're not being rational about this. We're not looking at the facts. We're not looking at the truth. We just don't like you, so we're going to kill you. Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, back in the courtyard... Meanwhile, verse 25, as Simon Peter was standing at the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. Denial number two, verse 26. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. Most of us are familiar with this story. Three times Peter was asked directly if he knew Jesus, and three times Peter denies knowing Jesus. You have James, John, and Peter. These are the fishermen of the group. These are the men who are the three of the twelve who are kept closest to Jesus. Whenever he goes into the garden, 11 of them go into the garden. And then Jesus turns to Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me a little further. So so some of them he leaves out on the edge. And then he says, you guys come with me because he keeps them closer. Throughout Jesus' ministry with with Peter, James, and John, he keeps them closer on several instances. These are men that are very close to Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' friends. Jesus had eaten with Peter. Jesus had saved Peter from drowning. Jesus had gone fishing with Peter. Jesus had washed Peter's feet. This cup of rejection, (laughs) amen, that's right. Preach it, brother. This cup of rejection was real to Jesus. His very own friend, somebody he had invested in and loved and lived life with, was standing out in the courtyard saying, I don't know this man at all. I'm not with him. That's hurtful, isn't it? Verse 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended ended in the early hours of the morning. So it lasted all night. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. Does anybody else see any irony in that? We're here to unjustly kill this man, but we can't come into your house because that would make us unholy. (laughs) Dude, you got problems. They couldn't, go into, they couldn't go into a Gentile's house because that would make them unclean, ceremonial, unc- ceremonially unclean. So then they couldn't uh, participate in the, in the Passover with the other Jews. So Pilate, in verse 29, So Pilate the governor, he goes out. He went out to them and asked, Why are you here this early? No, that's not what he says. He says, What is your charge against this man? We won't have, uh, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. bunch of liars. They retorted. Verse 31, then take him away and judge him by your own law, Paul, uh, Pilate told them. Now, part of what's happening is you have Rome is oppressing the Jews, but part of what Rome did was let them govern themselves with, with a few exceptions. Pretty cool, huh? So they, they have some latitude. And what the, what the Jews are saying here is, we've, we've done everything we can do, now we're bringing him to you. Here's why. So he says, Then take him away and judge him by your own laws, Pilate told them. Only, here's their response. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. We need to kill this guy before our Passover celebration starts, man. (laughs) This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Verse 33, then Pilate went back into his headquarters and he called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Verse 35, "'I am I a Jew,' Pilate re- retorted. "'Your own people and their leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done?' And Jesus answered, watch this, "'My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were,' this, this just follows, this makes good sense. "'If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders.'" But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, at that point, Pilate could have said, you're nuts, go back to the Jews. Pilate said, so are you a king? And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the, what? Truth. Not the truth that the Jews are looking for. They don't want the truth. They can't handle the truth. Jesus comes to testify to the world the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Great philosophical question. Then he went out again to the people and he told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was a zealot. He was an assassin to the the Roman government. He wanted to kill the Roman leaders that were oppressing the Jews. So here's the story. You have Jesus is the Messiah, yet the men who should have recognized him have rejected him. Jesus is the truth, yet in this moment the truth is rejected and lies are accepted. Jesus is the innocent man, yet Barabbas, the criminal who is dangerous to both Israel and Rome, is the one who is received, while Jesus is the one true king, he gets rejected. This is the cup of the Father gave to Jesus. It's not, it is not It is. not a cup that Jesus resented or refused. It was a cup that Jesus embraced for the redemption of humanity. He would be rejected by men so that you and I could be accepted by God the Father. That's pretty cool. That ought to make you feel good. I know that each of us suffer in a variety of ways. Some of you have suffered loss. I cannot even begin to enumerate all the different ways that people in our congregation have suffered in the last year, the last six months, even this last week. I know that some of you have suffered serious rejection, maybe at the hands of church or church leaders, maybe the rejection of a spouse or another family member. We experience suffer, suffering, and we experience rejection. We all do. I know that often we feel like the cup that the father has given us is unfair and it's too difficult. Ever been there before? We do. But let me encourage you. God gives each of us What we need so that we will, as Paul said, stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely on the God who raises the dead. And then he exemplifies that by his very own son being raised from the grave. This is the truth. That's good. Don't be discouraged. Don't be, don't be frustrated with God. God is at work to perfect His character in you. God is at work to redeem you. God is at work to use you to share His redemption with others. Is it going to mean some suffering? Is it going to mean some rejection? Well, that's pretty much the model that we have of Scripture. Yeah, it is. But it doesn't change the fact That we are the vessels that God has chosen to give us a cup of suffering and rejection so that we can take the gospel of Jesus Christ, eternal life and forgiveness to others around us. It's pretty cool. God is worthy of our faith. After all, he is the one who raises the dead. So no matter the situation... Because while I'm talking, some of you are thinking about specific situations that you're in, that you're like, oh, Brent, you just have no idea how much suffering there is now. You have no idea how much rejection there is in my life right now. No matter your situation, no matter the suffering, no matter the rejection you and I feel from where we're at, Jesus has suffered as well, and he overcame. Romans chapter 8, last verse, then I'm going to quit. Verse 18 and 19, he says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the... I wasn't sure if we put it up on the screen or not. Our suffering now is nothing compared to the glory. Remember we talked about the glory several weeks ago. He will reveal where? To us later. So we suffer now, but it's small compared to what God's going to do. His glory in us. For all creation. Everyone say, for all creation. All creation. All the universe is waiting and watching to see what God the Father does with this great plan of grace and love and mercy and redemption. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Do we suffer? Yes. Are we children of God the Father? So much more. Yes, so much more. So we suffer here temporarily. is no big deal. We're looking forward to being children of God forever and ever, for to live eternity with Jesus Christ, to live in His glory when He's going to display all of His character, all of His majesty, all that He is worthy of us worshiping and magnifying and glorifying and singing praise to. All that He is is going to be painted on our lives, and it's going to be glorious. Do we suffer? It's no big deal. Get over it. We're headed to a really great place. I want to pray with you, and then then we're going to dismiss. Father, we love you and we thank you that we are given a cup of suffering, a cup of rejection along with this ministry that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that we do not have to suffer this alone, and we do not have to suffer this not understanding what the future holds. But we can hold this cup this morning knowing full well that even if we were to suffer to the point of death, that you are the God who raises the dead. So we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to lose because you hold in your hand our eternal life. Do we give up some pleasures now? Yes, but we look forward to your glory for eternity because of your work on the cross. Lord, I pray that as we live out our lives now, we live Through suffering, we live through rejections with our eyes fixed upon the author and the perfecter of our faith. That we can live with great confidence that you have walked this path ahead of us and you've walked this path victoriously. And it is because you have gone before us, you have suffered, you have died, and you have been resurrected that we have a hope. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt We can put our confidence in you, and you will see us through to the very end, and you will glorify yourself in your people. Lord, we want to be your children. We want to be bought, purchased, and cleansed into the body of Christ, into your kingdom, into your family. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Be glorified in all that we do. Lord, I thank you for this offering this morning. Continue to work in in the church's finances. God, bless your people. Bless your givers. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.